You're listening to Congratulations, It's Assist, a holistic health podcast for your curious brain. Hello. Yay. <laughs> Yay, it's working. <laughs> Don't you love Zoom? It's so slow with headphones and oh my gosh, it drives me nuts. It is connecting everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I once was at work and I was running like a senior leadership meeting and I was taking all the minutes Yeah. and my headphones shut down my meeting and because I was the person who was running the meeting, it shut down the whole meeting for everyone. Oh no. <laughs> Career limiting move. Big it's not time. bulletproof. <laughs> no, not at all. So you're in New South Wales. Yes. So we're all currently in lockdown. Yeah. And how's it all going over there at the moment? Yeah, good. I mean, I still go to work and it's busy, but um, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it's hard yeah, it yeah. seems like because it's five weeks now. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it's going to continue for quite some time. So you'd be fully vaccinated now because yep. you're yep. frontline. Yep. yep. So that's good. Yeah, I booked in as soon as I was eligible to get my first vaccination. So I'm halfway there, 50%. Yep. Okay. That's good. That's better than nothing. (laughs) I don't know what it means, but I'm halfway there. That's good. Okay. So Dr. Amani Harris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. I'm so freaking excited (laughs) to have a chat with you about this. Fantastic. (laughs) Uh, I was reading about all your qualifications, all your accolades. You've got a lot going on. It's so freaking cool. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. There's always so much to be done. Yeah, and it seems like you've done pretty much all of it. (laughs) But you're super knowledgeable in the field that we're going to be talking about on today's episode. And I can really see how passionate you are about it as well, which I absolutely love. I am. Yeah, I definitely. That is definitely very accurate. Yeah. Okay. On that note, Dr. Amani, let's jump straight into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So I'm a gynecologist and obstetrician and fertility specialist in the uh, Sutherland Shire, so south of Sydney. Um, And I have a special interest in particularly minimally invasive and complex surgery. So that's laparoscopic surgery, robotic surgery. Uh, I am very passionate about things like endometriosis and just women's health in general and offering um, people, I guess, the most um, minimally invasive approach if they do need surgery. So that's one of my passion areas. And you were recently a speaker at an endometriosis, uh, was it a symposium? <laughs> Webinar, yes. Yeah, yeah. that was really exciting, actually. It was like a Q&A and it was filmed in, in studio. So that was quite exciting. But um, more so, I think I'm very passionate about endometriosis and it allowed me to, I guess, and along with all the other panel members, um, debunk some myths and address some questions, um, which I think is really important. And I was really happy that it was shared and everybody had access to it. So that was fantastic. Yeah, it's exciting. I love raising awareness and um, endometriosis particularly is one of those things where knowledge of the the condition itself is really important for everyone affected um, by it to, to have and their family members or friends. So I think 
that's where the passion lies. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much misinformation. You're so right when you say that because it's something that we're learning more and more about and it seems like more and more people have it and maybe in the past they wouldn't have even known that they have it. Uh, And something like that now that is a webinar that's permanently available to people if they want to access it. What a cool resource. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yes, thank you. That's so awesome. So we're going to dive into the field of laparoscopy because you are extremely experienced with this kind of surgery, which is amazing. So exciting. (laughs) Um, So we're going to try and hone in on that. So let's just start by talking about what laparoscopy actually is. Sure. So laparoscopy also referred to as keyhole surgery. So uh, it's a minimally invasive approach for a surgical procedure, um, which is different to traditional types of surgery where someone has a big open cut. So this utilizes very small cuts on the abdomen. The first one usually goes through the belly button and that's a camera, tiny little scope that allows us to have a look inside the abdomen or pelvis. It's done for many different reasons, not just gynecology, it could be for an appendix, a gallbladder. And the tummy is actually blown up with carbon dioxide gas. So otherwise all the organs are close together. So you have a blown up tummy with gas, a camera, and then it shows us on the screen what's inside the abdomen and depending on what the cause or reason for the laparoscopy is a number of other little tiny incisions often half a centimeter long are also made so that we can insert instruments um, to allow us to operate and excise things or remove things. And you're kind of in the field of robotics with this kind of procedure is that correct? I've done a lot of research on you I'm so interested (laughs) in everything that you do I just it's so cool to me so Can you explain to us a little bit about the robotic side that comes into this procedure? Yes. So they're two different procedures. They are very similar in that they are both minimally invasive and they both utilise little tiny incisions. The placement of the cuts for robotic surgery is a little bit different to laparoscopy. It's relatively newer technology that's been around that utilizes the same principles. So there's still a camera that goes in, there's still little tiny ports with instruments. We just utilize um, a robot um, and we control it. So it it doesn't do anything on its own um, as opposed to really the the name is misleading. Um, It's all controlled by the surgeon and it just allows additional arms more than what an individual might have and steady camera so that you can have a look and do essentially the same or similar procedures that you would do via laparoscopy. Amazing. Okay. So I think now I've got the pronunciation of laparoscopy. Laparoscopy. (laughs) (laughs) I actually Googled it first and got like the Google lady to tell me how to say it um, because I thought that I had it right. But thank you for clearing that up for (laughs) me. No problem. So you've kind of spoken a little bit about some of the conditions that you may need to have laparoscopy for. If we're talking about endometriosis, what kind of procedure can individuals expect either for diagnosis or treatment? And are those procedures fairly similar? Yes, that's a very good question. So endometriosis is very different to any other gynecological procedure for several reasons. One is uniquely, you often don't know until you go in and have a look. So it actually requires surgery to diagnose 
because you can't see it on ultrasound. It's different to someone, say, with a known cyst on the ovary. You see that on ultrasound. You can counsel people as to what to expect um, specifically. Endometriosis is a bit different. And we know that the pain does not relate to how much disease someone might have. So you could have a little bit of pain and a lot of disease or a lot of pain and just one little tiny spot. So the counselling differs and it's important to explain to people what the difference might be. And you could have, it's a very broad spectrum of disease. So um, you can have minimal, mild, moderate or severe disease and it can affect any organ really in the abdomen or even outside. So if it's diagnostic, um, most of my surgeries, I must say, if I'm doing diagnostic, I'm usually also removing disease. So I hardly, diagnostic would only be if there's nothing that I have found. And usually um, that would be just the camera in the belly button, which heals beautifully and you can't see a scar and probably one other little tiny incision above the pubic area. Um, so you don't need the other cuts as well if it's diagnostic because you're not doing much. But the more complex a surgery is, the more uh, likely you are to have those little tiny incisions. So they will usually be three more um, half a centimetre incisions around the belly. I do also do single incision surgery for some procedures, not often for endometriosis, um, but that's where I actually put a special port in the belly button and introduce all those instruments in just through the cut in the belly button. So someone might have just the one scar in the belly button where you can't actually see it and it heals beautifully. Um, but often that's for other things. Endometriosis, you really do need those additional ports, um, if you, if it, especially if it's a lot of disease. Okay, great. So the patient would usually go into a diagnostic procedure knowing that it may proceed into a treatment procedure. Is that right? Yep. Yes, and they would want that. So they're often coming in because they have pain or a symptom that has brought them to come in and see me and we decide we're having a look inside to check for endometriosis. If there's no endometriosis, it just stands as a diagnostic procedure. If there is some, then I will be cutting it out and removing it all. Now, on that vein, can you tell us a little bit about the stages of endometriosis and how the procedure may change with those stages? Yeah, sure. So um, it's classified stage one to four. One, so one, two, three, and four, four being the most complex, um, but it depends on whether it's affecting the ovaries. And it also depends on whether it's affecting the bowel as well. So Often, um, if it's not diagnosed preoperatively and it might be, you might go in and see lots of bowel nodules, then that might be a reason to just have a look and counsel the patient about what that surgery might mean. So I do common, commonly do procedures with my colorectal surgeon uh, specifically on these cases where there's endometriosis on the bowel. But luckily, now there's specialised scans where there's gynaecologists that specialise in ultrasound that we can send patients to and they can have a look at the bowel and tell me if there's any bowel disease. Um, but stage stage one might mean just a little small few spots that are superficial. Um, they're not affecting, they're not big nodules. Stage two is a little bit more. Three and four are when you have those bigger nodules more in the back of the uterus um, or affecting the ovaries or causing things to stick together. Okay, perfect. That makes a lot of sense. And what about adenomyosis? So adenomyosis is, as you know, like the cousin of endometriosis. It's the same disease 
in the different locations. So endometriosis is the lining of the uterus or the endometrium outside the uterus. Adenomyosis is when that lining invades into the muscle and the muscle grows and becomes thickened. Um, so unfortunately, there's not much surgery unless it's what we call an adenomyoma. So it's all in the one spot and not everywhere in the uterus. It's very hard to remove surgically. So especially if someone wants children later on and they're having that surgery and they're young and, they, and they're considering having a family, there's not much you can do surgically. You can see it and diagnose it. But really, the ultimate treatment for adenomyosis is a hysterectomy, so removing the whole uterus if someone is suffering with problems from adenomyosis. Yeah, I spoke about this condition with uh, Stephanie Velakis on episode 13, actually, and it's known as that heavy uterus. Like, there's exactly, yeah, there's not too much that we can do. Correct. For this kind of a condition. Definitely the evil cousin of endometriosis for sure. Okay, great. Now, with this kind of a procedure, what kind of recovery time do you usually expect to see? And I know this probably changes with each individual and how severe the endometriosis or what stage um, the endometriosis is in. How would you usually set that recovery time with someone? Sure. So I guess the only caveat or the only, the main difference is if there's bowel disease and we're involving a colorectal surgeon, sometimes patients of mine go in knowing they're having a bowel resection because they've got severe bowel symptoms. And the recovery for that is very different to the routine. That's a very small proportion of patients. And they may be in hospital for a few days and their recovery, even with the keyhole, might be a little bit slower because it's a four-hour, you know, long procedure. But for all other types of endometriosis, so 90% of endometriosis, I would say it's a day procedure. So um, you go home the same day most of the time, uh, but it does require about a week really for recovery. I say it takes about a week to feel back to normal. And that's mainly a lot of it is actually the gas. So even though we, we get rid of the gas at the end of the procedure, depending on how long it takes, uh, the time for the surgery, you absorb some of that gas. And that's what gives you uh, the annoying symptoms after laparoscopy. So people feel bloated, they might have a bit of discomfort or feel shoulder tip pain, which often most people are not aware of and it scares them. So that takes about 24 to 48 hours um, to get rid of that gas and go back to feeling a bit more uh, normal. But I would say about a week, but you're back home, you're moving around and every day you should be feeling better than the day before. So this shoulder tip pain, tell me a little bit about that because I haven't heard about it. I haven't had this kind of procedure before. So tell me a little bit about this. Yeah, sure. So the carbon dioxide gets absorbed into the different areas of the body and the nerves that gives you that shoulder, uh, that supply the shoulder can actually be activated by the gas because you've absorbed it. So it gives you the same sensation as a really sharp pain and you feel that the Um, the gas on your chest so people often feel heavy in the chest and get the shoulder tip pain and if you don't explain it to them they might be scared thinking well do I have I had a heart attack or have I been dropped what's happening because they don't you don't you know often affiliate shoulder tip pain with abdominal surgery but it's your body playing tricks the same nerves being stimulated yeah, that's so good that you've explained that because I've never actually heard that before. And I think that's super interesting yeah. because I would be the same. I'd be like, what happened during my procedure? Why yeah, my exactly. So well, sore? you don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, so yeah. interesting. Okay, great. Now with uh, recovery, when you're going through this recovery period, is there anything that you recommend individuals avoid or maybe do a little bit more? Like what what, what are your usual sure. recommendations? Yeah, so I give my patients some tips and tricks to make their recovery a bit smoother and um faster because that's what we all want um so a few things would be um regular pain relief so I always say for about 48 hours take some regular Panadol and Nurofen on the clock as if you're in hospital being given a regular medication because that just gives you a simple background pain relief and stops any bad episodes of pain Um, there's also two things that really make um recovery uh easier and um smoother and one of them is moving around so Moving around makes gets you to burp, gets you to pass wind, and that actually helps you get rid of that gas. The sooner you get get rid of the gas, the um, the better you feel. And secondly, it's getting your bowels open. So again, the bowel just goes a little bit lazy after laparoscopic surgery because of the gas. Some some patients need a bowel prep and they've been fasting and they're not eating quite right. So you don't want that to swell up and cause problems. So you want to encourage the bowel to work. So moving helps. I often say have lots of little meals, avoid big fatty meals, perhaps um, red meat for 48 hours because it binds you. But things, drink lots of um, fluids and walk around. So things that get your bowel moving and passing wind will often help with recovery. Okay, amazing. There's some amazing uh, yoga poses for relieving gas and getting things moving. (laughs) Great. So if anybody needs any, let me know. Yeah. (laughs) Lots of twisting. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay, awesome. That is such a nice, well-rounded, informative session about this kind of procedure because I know that I've had a few friends who have gone into it kind of not really knowing what to expect. Their doctors haven't necessarily explained it to them in that kind of a way and I yeah. like I was really interested to have a chat with you about this and I think that explains it so so oh, well good. so I'm glad thank you no thank <laughs> you okay so we've got a few questions that we yep. want to get to okay go for it okay so the first yep. one is from anonymous and they asked okay how long do laparoscopy scars take to fade and does the size differ from person to person so usually laparoscopic incisions should be fairly standard and they're about 5 millimeters which is just half a centimeter and um, sometimes we make them a bit bigger if we're removing large cysts and you want to remove it in a bag or there's a bit of suspicion so a surgeon might decide to then change the size of the incision and make it a little bit larger but often um, they should be a standard incision size of half a centimeter everybody's so the appearance of the scar changes and that's um, dependent on someone's ability to and their healing essentially Um, and scars actually take many many weeks to form and they change so depending often skin pigmentation um, whether or not someone is predisposed to what we call keloid scarring or forming lots of scar tissue um, that really determines what your scars look like often Um, but it can take several weeks often they go from being red for a few weeks sometimes even a few months and then they tend to fade away and take the similar uh, skin color as um, the the individual but it takes a while oh that's good to know that there's like a standard size yeah 
Okay, and our second question is from Sarah, and they mm-hmm. want to know, is it possible to have a laparoscopy with less than three incisions? And I think that you're the perfect person to ask this question yep. to because you specialize in minimal, minimally invasive yes. surgery. Yeah, so there are, yeah, it is possible. So um, uh, there are certain uh, techniques that we use, so called reduced port, or for me, for example, single incision is the ultimate. So that's putting the one little gel um, applicator in the belly button to allow for different instruments to go in. Uh, so, but there's only a small number of surgeries that we can perform such a, at such a procedure for. Or we could also reduce the number of ports. So I often use it to um, for other procedures. And if I need to put one other port, then that would be one other port. So there are options out there. If it's a diagnostic procedure, often it's just the camera through the belly button and one other one other port. But otherwise, for standard procedures, three. Yeah, perfect. And that would obviously be something that uh, the doctor would discuss with the patient before going in. Then they would yes. be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay, great. Now, this part here is called assistance and (laughs) it's just your big piece of advice for someone who is going in for a procedure like this. I think a few – oh, okay, so a few um, points. One is make sure you understand why you're having the laparoscopy what it means and what to expect after it. I think that's really important. So um, especially if you're not quite sure what the surgeon will find, say for endometriosis, establish and make sure you understand if the surgeon finds severe disease, will they proceed? Are there affiliations? And also ask your surgeon about their experience, especially when it comes to endometriosis, because not all gynecologists do endometriosis surgery. So it's important to seek someone who specializes in this area because it is quite difficult it's unique and requires a special skill set so that's important and ask about the recovery and potential complications so being well informed is really important and the more you know about how to make your recovery faster and better um, is really crucial and know what you can't do So to prevent complications of surgery, what are you not supposed to do to reduce the risk of infection? Um, Find out and and just make sure you're aware. And if you don't feel like all your questions or you're not quite sure after another um, uh, consultation, I always tell my patients we can always have an extra consultation over the phone because often it's quite overwhelming for the first time and you hear a lot of information and um, it's just so much to um, I guess uh, comprehend in the one sitting and process so often I give them then written information to take home uh, about laparoscopy about endometriosis and maybe a day or two later or even a week later a lot of my patients will schedule another telephone appointment and I always talk to them before they go in on the day of surgery after and they can nominate a family member or friend also to discuss that with on the day. Yeah, absolutely. There's just so much saturation of information that just stick to speaking to your doctor about it. Leave the internet alone. Leave social media alone. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And just running off the back of your experience um, point where you said, you know, find out the experience of your surgeon 
There are two types of surgery for endometriosis. So you've got your excision and you've got your ablation. And not all surgeons can obviously do the excision. With the fact that your expertise is in this area, do you primarily perform excision? Do you still do some ablation? What do you recommend? So if we look at the evidence for excision and ablation, there is some evidence to say that they're equal in terms of reducing pain. In my practice, I'm mainly an excision or surgery um, gynecologist. So if I see disease, I'm removing it all. I'm quite um, uh, aggressive about removing all the disease because it also allows you to diagnose it. So when you ablate or ablation means burning it off, you're not actually getting tissue out, um, which destroys the ablation, does destroy a lot of the endometriosis, but you also don't confirm the diagnosis. So my main practice is excisional uh, surgery. Yeah, because you don't have the specimen anymore. You yes, can't correct. test it and there find is out no what specimen. it is. Yes. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so just to wrap it up, how yeah. can people work with you, especially now that you're in lockdown? It's probably <laughs> You've probably got some online stuff going on. So yes, I do. How can individuals work with you and what kind of resources do you have that you would recommend? Yeah, so there's so much more that I'd like to be doing, <laughs> so much more <laughs> that I'd like to give. Um, when I basically um, started my social media to be a source of information and also a, a place where, and I get a lot of patients that might message me, I can't give out medical advice obviously via social media but I can just guide people as to what they do in terms of where to go for information and I try to do that with a lot of the information I have on Facebook or Instagram so I do have um, uh, PowerPoint presentations on endometriosis, adenomyosis, fibroids, laparoscopy, all these key areas that I am passionate about and they do have resources at the end of it. Some of my favourite resources uh, that, that, that anyone can have a look at and um, and see but otherwise um, I'm always open to to yeah having a chat about uh, anything and, and yeah see how we go perfect I'll make sure I put your website up there's heaps of information on there <laughs> I was reading through it for hours Thank I was like you. wow my gosh there's <laughs> really? so much to wow. know <laughs> maybe not hours but it was a little bit of time <laughs> okay great. awesome well thank you so much Dr. Amani oh, you're welcome of course it's been my pleasure thank you for having me and congratulations on your website and your social media oh, thank it's fantastic you. oh it's so nice yeah, to connect well with you and you've started your yeah. social media i've started my social media <laughs> but all the best with lockdown i hope you stay safe thank you and we'll speak to you soon thanks bye thanks so much for tuning into this episode of congratulations it's assist We hope you enjoyed it and we can't wait for you to join us again next time. If you haven't already, go check out our website at www.congratulationsassist.com.au. Here you'll find all of our episodes, our Lady Parts blog with amazing stories from incredible women, our recipe section with plant-based, gluten-free and fine sugar-free meal options, and a way to contact us. If you want to give us a follow, you'll find us on Instagram at congratulationsassist, Facebook, Congratulations as assist, or you can reach out directly, Kayla at congratulationsassist.com.au. And please remember, anything discussed on this podcast does not constitute medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I'm just interested. Please speak to your GP or other healthcare professional before making any changes. Oh, wait, one more thing. 
music for this podcast was created by my amazing partner, Matthew Tanner, in our friend Harry's house. Until next time, know you.